Hello and welcome to the second episode of Think Positive's podcast with me, Rena Staves. In this episode, we'll be exploring loneliness and how it interacts with and affects student mental health. Loneliness is something that I'm obsessed with and it sounds slightly troubling, doesn't it? But I'm obsessed with it because I've lived through it. And in my experience, it's one of those formative periods of my life where I learned so much and wanted to raise as much awareness as possible about the issues surrounding loneliness and ultimately contribute to a society that is more connected. At 18, my whole world fell apart when I withdrew my place at Newcastle University and at the last minute, I managed to get a place at the University of Sheffield, my local, uh, through the clearing system. There was no accommodation available at the time for me And so I had to commute, which to me was literally the worst possible outcome. You know, you're 18 and you're applying to university and you're like, I'm going to go to a university that is hundreds of miles away. So yeah, it kind of felt like everything I'd been working towards um, had been shattered in that moment. And it was one of the most suffocating feelings ever. That first semester, I'd experienced something I never thought someone as young as I was could experience, a loneliness. It was devastating and just so sad. The only way I can describe it is that it was like this tangible feeling of being present but so aware of the connection that you just don't have. I'd gone from having all my closest friends around me daily to knowing literally no one in a matter of weeks and no real way of making those connections as I had to commute to and from home at quite unsociable hours. Eventually things got much better as I met new friends through societies and grew my networks but it definitely stuck with me and influenced my work as a campaigner and now at Think Positive. I remember at the time wondering if other students were going through the same and why wasn't anybody talking about this? Anyway, enough about me. In this episode, we'll look at loneliness in a little bit more depth, asking what can universities do to support students making the transition from further education to higher education? Or similarly, what can colleges do to support students making that transition from school to further education? But also, what can education and the education sector itself do to equip graduates when they exit that educational bubble and venture out into the world? To answer some of these questions, later I'll be speaking to one of my closest friends, Megan, whose friendship has helped me endure some of the most loneliest times you could imagine. But first, what is loneliness? When I was experiencing loneliness, it took me such a long time to actually arrive at the term loneliness because to me, in my naivety, loneliness was not something a quote unquote happy 18 year old could experience. And I think that's definitely part of the problem, the stigma surrounding loneliness. When I was doing my research for this episode, I was seeing the terms isolation and loneliness used either interchangeably or in the same phrase. So I wanted to establish the difference between the two and hopefully this might be useful for you too. According to Age UK, the difference between the two relates to the notion of social connection. Here's what they say. 
Loneliness is a subjective feeling about the gap between a person's desired level of social contact and their actual level of social contact. It refers to the perceived quality of the person's relationships. Loneliness is never desired and lessening these feelings can take a long time. Social isolation is an objective measure of the number of contacts that people have. It's about the quantity and not quality of relationships. People may choose to have a small number of contacts. I found that really interesting actually because when I think back about that period of loneliness I described earlier, I wasn't deprived of contact. I had my mum around me. I was surrounded literally in that first week of freshers by thousands of students. But what I remember missing was having that someone to share that experience with. And with being a commuter student, you more than ever realise how excluding the typical university setting is. It's set up solely for the stereotypical 18 year old who moves to university and lives in halls, surrounded by people all going through the same life change. And that's something we can consider when we're developing our student mental health agreements and in general when we're supporting our young ones. How can we ensure we're bringing them into the community? What opportunities are there available to them to form meaningful connections? We'll get back to this later. Loneliness also poses some serious health risks. According to the Campaign to End Loneliness, loneliness and social isolation are associated with an increased risk of developing coronary heart disease and a stroke. It also increases the risk of high blood pressure. So we've looked at some of the facts and statistics on loneliness and the picture's pretty bleak there. But many people do combat loneliness. I'm a shining example, but it wasn't easy. And now I want to talk a bit about what we can actually do if we're feeling lonely. For new students exiting their potentially close-knit friendship circle, one they've curated over the course of their life so far, what can they do if they suddenly find themselves feeling homesick or lonely? There's no one better equipped to talk about this than my gorgeous friend Megan. Me and Megan met way back in 2015 when we were both attending an AGM for a society we were both interested in joining and a beautiful friendship developed from there. Since then I moved up to Edinburgh and Megan down to Exmouth so we literally could not be further apart if we tried really. <laughs> but. Throughout all of that, we've navigated a long distance friendship through letter writing, calls, scheduled visits, and it's been wonderful. Hello. Hello. How, How are you? Thanks for having me. It's okay. Thank you. It's so nice to see your voice, as always. <laughs> um, it's such a privilege to have you on here because you have so much expertise and I love talking to you about anything because you're so insightful and especially around this topic because we've just been writing letters to each other for so long and my letterbox is just full like I have a box of letters and it's just full to the brim of like gorgeous beautiful stationery sets of letters that you've sent me that are like beautifully wax closed and so yeah I love you and it's so nice to have you on. <laughs> I love you too. And yeah, it's, it's really nice to chat to you and also to chat about this topic because you know that mental health for me and in particular 
loneliness is something that we both spoke about at length like how challenging that could be and also sharing tips on what works um to help with that and just yeah generally something i'm passionate about so it's really nice to have an opportunity to talk about it today with you yay so yeah let's crack on and get straight into it i guess what are your thoughts on loneliness in general it's a big question (laughs) and i think it's got a broad topic and i'm really glad that in recent years it's been getting more prominent and being looked at in sort of the spectrum of experience rather than what I think was quite a narrow view that we've held for a long time. Um, yeah, I sort of said that loneliness, I think it's really good to normalise it and say that it's a common human emotion that a lot of people experience and that sort of exists to regulate your behaviour and say that you're sort of lacking in social connection and sort of prompts you to take action on that. Um, the sort of problem arises is when you can't take that action and then it becomes more of a long-term concern and then impacts your mental well-being and other aspects of your life. And I think there's also a big distinction between feeling lonely and also being alone. Neither of them are actually in essence negative, but they can be negative when they impact other aspects of your life and that sort of extended period of time of experiencing them. Yeah, and you touched upon how... um, being alone isn't necessarily uh, a negative thing for someone who's kind of gone to university who's 18 and find themselves maybe like two or three hundred miles away from university how I don't know what I'm kind of getting here but I suppose when I think about loneliness when I first thought about loneliness it was in that kind of generic way where you think about an elderly person who is alone but does it surprise you now that loneliness is something that younger people are experiencing? Um, I think it doesn't um, surprise me too much because it's something that I personally have experienced being a young person um, and I've also had friends and other people that I know Um, that have experienced that particularly through that university transition or even that post-university transition and I think it is something that's becoming more recognised experiences happen for young people and that's that that sort of point where you're having that identity shift or that physical shift of sort of like moving into a different situation because it sort of prompts that change and that uncertainty Um, So I think it's really good that people are recognising it and also that we're realising it's becoming more of a thing for young people so that we can sort of signpost to the right support or get to understand what's causing that as well. Um, Definitely for me when I went to university back in 2013, um, which seems ages ago now, um, that was a big shift for me because at the time I was living in Northern Ireland Um, and I went to university in Sheffield so there wasn't sort of going to a university near home or being able to travel back recently it was completely a new set of friendships and location and experience and that was something I was really concerned about was making those connections when I first went and feeling lonely not just alone Um, and I think what got me through that was being able to stay connected to friends and social connections I had back home through letter writing like I've been doing with you now that we're further apart um, and also sort of making plans to meet up with people when I was going back for the holidays having WhatsApp groups and sort of Skypes and stuff like that 
and then also sort of putting those roots down where I was and sort of forcing myself to um, make those connections even when it was hard by sort of joining societies like I did when I met you mm. and sort of you know speaking to people on my course and sort of seeing if there's people with mutual interests and then following up socially um, and a lot of my friends in life have been very lucky that one of the closest people I've met in the sort of you know last five or six years or so um, I think I think I've still been open to expanding that mm. um, and it's meant that at times when I've been feeling lonely um, I've got quite a nice group of people who understand and that I can reach out to but it does make me feel that when I made the move down here to Exmouth that was again another shift of leaving that social circle I'd made in Sheffield and you have to start that process over again of making those connections mm. um, and using those sort of tips and tricks you found to stay in touch with people who are supportive as well yeah definitely and you mentioned there about the importance of signposting support for students and for young people mm. how did you find the transition from university life to working life do you think that kind of signposting was there yeah what was your kind of experience in terms of loneliness there yeah I think that's a really good question because it's not something I think anyone is really prepared for it's an expectation of you'll go to university and then you'll leave and you'll be in work and it just somehow sort of works out <laughs> magically um and they give you a lot of careers for on like how to do job interviews and your cv and sort of those type of things but there's definitely nothing that sort of prepares you for that shift in um your routine um or maybe sort of like how to incorporate things that are good for you when you're sort of starting off a new job like how to sort of you know interact with your colleagues how to balance sort of like your work life and your personal life there's a lot of things I think um we could be doing better for recent graduates to sort of prepare them and also I think importantly to normalize the fact that it's going to be new and different and a bit scary because I think I was lucky in the fact that I had friends at a similar time to me that were feeling like oh what's going on with this and you could chat it through but if you don't have those connections you could feel even more lost by it all especially if you're searching for jobs and getting a lot of rejections if you haven't gone into full-time work that can impact a lot on your self-worth um, and even starting a new job in somewhere you don't know can feel very isolating because it's new people and yeah probably quite anxiety inducing <laughs> yeah definitely for sure and so uh, for our listeners that are listening in, this is a nice little bit of information for you, but, uh, and you've touched upon this actually, but um, you have lived in lots of different places, haven't you? And I, um, I said this before, but I think one of the things that I have always really admired about you is just kind of your ability to just, wherever you are or wherever you kind of live, build a foundation there whether that be friendships or just kind of an identity and how did you do that what how do you kind of yeah what what helped you form those habits of connection yeah I think it's a really good question and um I am unique in some ways I have lived in a lot of different places um worked in a lot of different places and have quite a sort of spread out group in terms of yeah my social 
connections, which at times is challenging, um, <laughs> trying to sort of keep in touch with everyone, but does make me feel definitely that I sort of have a home uh, wherever I go in some ways as well. Um, and I think for me, it's definitely been I value those friendships because of what they've given me in terms of my well-being. So I'm definitely very invested in maintaining those. The process of sort of like learning how to do that is definitely something I've learned through experience. Um, definitely not sort of a guide or any sort of guru. So a lot of the tips I have are just something that I've picked up along the way. Um, but yeah, when I was about eight years old, we moved from England to Northern Ireland, which was originally supposed to be for, I think, two years and ended up being more like 13. So that was a big <laughs> life shift. Um, and that was probably the first time that I was more conscious and aware that I was moving into a different um, social circle, having to make those connections and experiencing loneliness for the first time, um, even though I probably didn't at the time have an awareness of what that was because um similar to how we touched on earlier i definitely sort of thought there's more of a elderly people on their own thing mm. rather than something people of all ages and all sort of life experiences can have yeah. um, so i think from there um it became really key to me to sort of just find those people that gave me that support um and that were nourishing for me because i think you can be lonely and have friends um, and when you do that easier than <laughs> being lonely and not having those social connections and regardless of mm -hmm. what kind of whether that's a romantic relationship or with your family or you know having those people you can turn to is really important so um yeah when I moved to sort of secondary school and sort of experienced that again once I sort of found that I was finding people who had similar interests to me and that I could be open with um I really just sort of treasured them um, so I think that was when I was moving away to uni I was really nervous because I was leaving behind a lot of time I'd invested in people and I knew I was going to miss them and you were sort of leaving your comfort zone but I did it and it went well so I think the more times I've sort of done it mm. the, the less uh, daunting it seems and I've found sort of ways to keep in touch like doing the letter writing with my mum planning sort of trips to look forward to when I'm coming back um having like sort of whatsapp or facebook messenger group chats um and also just really keeping that uh doorway open the connection whether that's just like a message to check in with people how you're doing or a kind of like a summary of like here's a picture of my day what's going on and not sort of expecting too much of a reply but also really being there when people need it and I think not putting pressure on those friendships those are the ones that have worked best for me because I know that like you know they've got my back and I've got theirs and that you know you can reach out if you do need them um which is really good um other things sort of just like sending stuff in the post um or having little coffee catch-ups if you live like close enough I mean, there's lots of stuff you can do um that makes it feel a bit more manageable especially at the moment when we're all operating more virtually mm. <laughs> i think also giving yourself that time to step away from it if the screens and interacting a lot is too much not putting pressure on yourself um to always be on and be present because those that care about you aren't gonna worry about that 
Um, so just feeling like, yeah, you have those people you can reach out to when you need it. And I'm rambling a lot, which I told you I would do. <laughs> I love your rambles. <laughs> and yeah, I just kind of reflecting what you were saying. I think when I first moved up to Edinburgh, those first few months when I didn't really know anybody and they were definitely one of the most loneliest times. Um, I always remember kind of coming home from work and seeing gorgeous, glittery or floral envelopes. And I just kind of forget that people you know cared about me and then I'd see this envelope and it'd be from you and I'd be like oh my goodness a little nugget of love and it honestly just yeah makes me feel so loved and it's so nice and I appreciate you so much so thank you I'm, I'm glad for everyone who can't tell Judy during this audio medium I'm smiling lots <laughs> um at that statement um yeah I think I've always valued the physical sort of sentimental handmade type stuff. And if you can send someone something, I think I always liked that because it would brighten their day and they'd taken the time to sit down and write that for you. And sometimes also I find it easier to just sort of process your thoughts that way. Mm. And I think when people can come back to you if they're feeling quiet, you know, and they maybe don't want to talk to someone, they can read through those letters again. And mm. that's sort of a nice way to engage with it as well. I think so too and I one of the things I like to do when I write letters is to let people know where I am when I write the letters and I <laughs> and I think the majority of the letters I've written to you are either Costa Brunsfield or Costa Sheffield <laughs> and that's where you'll know that's how you know how I'm feeling because it'll be midday Costa so that's another little, it's a little nugget into our friendship there dear listeners um, shops are available <laughs> oh yes sorry i should put a uh, disclaimer there. Other, other coffee shops are available <clears throat> and so <laughs> what do you in kind of um the shift now with covid kind of being so heavily permeated into our society you mentioned your um almost like coping mechanisms there when it comes to writing letters and the whatsapp groups and things have you mm. found that that's been disrupted in a way with COVID kind of coming along or have you found yourself kind of leaning more towards them in that connection forming way what's what's the situation <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I think at the time that we were recording this England is in its second lockdown um, and everything's been a bit <clears throat> weird enough in the air since March so it's definitely tested I think people who have existing coping mechanisms um but also definitely want to shout all the people who don't have those it's been even harder for because uh you're experiencing a period of um mental ill health at a time when the support that people would usually be able to rely on isn't really there so yeah um i feel lucky that i sort of know myself well by this point but um the challenges that COVID and lockdown and all the changes to our daily life have presented. Um, I've been able to at times definitely sort of use methods I had before. So I've had weekly video calls with my granny since March, which has been really nice because I think for me the hardest bit is not being able, for, well for a lot of people, <laughs> not being able to see people who A live far, further away or B live on their own. Mm. Um, and sort of being able to have that connection 
like virtually through video calls is really nice and having that sort of like your routine and part of your week um also have like a family whatsapp group that we kind of just share messages here and there and stuff on so that's quite nice and you just sort of pick up and you get a sense of what's going on if you can't feel like you don't want to sort of ring around everyone <laughs> it's quite nice um i love your family um also it was a really nice chance to catch up with like some of my uh friends from uni and also friends from high school because sometimes trying to get everyone together is really hard um, so definitely at that initial point when for a lot of people things had stopped or slowed down and there was very little people could do um it was easy to find that time to chat and we sort of had things where we'd say oh like we're going to chat this time whoever's free come and join it was really low uh pressure mm. um that was really nice people would just sort of say like how they were feeling about things or what they were doing and you'd have that chance to chat and share with people who were close to you and got it um also started up a dungeons and dragons group with some of my friends nice it was really cool um first time <laughs> it's so fun though and it's it's one of the things that obviously the best way to do it is in person but there are ways to make it work online mm-hmm. um and it was something I'd been talking about with a couple of my close friends for a long time and then people suddenly were available to do it and that wouldn't I think have happened if we were all as busy as we would have been normally yeah. um, and that was a nice bit of escapism to do that um I think it was just sort of buying and sending like gifts to people or letters um or just sort of like little pictures of like what I'd been up to that day um so I think I found ways of using my resources um to stay connected to people and not feel lonely but it's definitely been hard because like you I haven't seen I think at this point in probably a long time and I don't know when I'm going to see you next um and that uncertainty is definitely like a hard thing because I'm someone who likes to plan stuff um and combat sometimes when I'm feeling lonely or alone by having things to look forward to whereas this has definitely shut down some of those things I would normally (laughs) do like plan to see people for a weekend or going to a a theatre performance or different bits and bobs just sort of like haven't been able to happen weddings of close friends have been postponed or moved um so I think I really miss that face-to-face connection there's nothing more as you know I enjoy than going and sitting in a coffee shop for like three hours and just having a proper chin wag or having someone over to like have a movie night and eat some cake or cook them a meal like that close connection hugs all of those things uh that's the bit when I think when I think about that I start feeling properly lonely because I miss those aspects yeah um and it's definitely been up and down and a test for like my mental well-being because um in the past probably about 2011 I'm really bad with dates so like my fourth year of um, <laughs> high school that was when I sort of first started experiencing like mental illness um, and depression and self-harming and a few other things like that um, so whilst I've had about sort of a period of 10 years or so to get to know my mental health a bit better and sort of some of the triggers and things um, when you have a period of change like this it definitely makes you feel like it fluctuates a lot and you know to keep an eye out for but it's really hard to sort of manage that I think 
Oh, I completely agree. And like, it's a very similar situation for me. Um, sorry to just bring this all back to me again. Um, but I completely know what you mean. Like during the first lockdown, it was all completely new. And we were all in the same boat, which I suppose kind of brought some comfort. But I know what you mean where everything, when you have those coping mechanisms that you've kind of developed and you think, oh, you know, I'm going to be okay because I've kind of got this way of living now. And then mm. everything's just kind of put into a state of flux. And yeah, I definitely found myself um, falling back into anxiousness, anxious thought patterns. And it was really unnerving. It was really kind of like, oh, I haven't felt this for a while. This is strange. But for people that are like going through a similar situation in which they kind of miss that physical touch um, and how, you know, COVID has brought about such digital reliance how what would you say to that how have you used technology to stay connected I mean you've touched on it but do you kind of have any foolproof tips <laughs> <laughs> I think um definitely one would just be don't put pressure on yourself like for mm. my work I spend the majority of my day in front of a screen mm. um, doing emails or teams calls or various bits and bobs so I think when we then put all our social things into a virtual context as well it's very easy to get burnt out. So I think uh, giving yourself that space to do activities that keep you connected that don't have to be virtual is really key. Um, and that could be something as easy as like writing a letter or um, doing something which is just good for your well-being, um, or even arranging something to do with something at the same time as your friend and then talk about it later um, as well can be helpful. Like I watch the bake-off every week and sometimes it's really nice to just do that and then afterwards be able to say oh how did you find that that week and it can be a good conversation starter so yeah I think not putting pressure on yourself and not getting burnt out is key finding activities to do which aren't virtual and if you are doing virtual ones to schedule it in and treat it like you would do if you were meeting someone for like coffee you're like I'm going to meet them for an hour and then feeling like after an hour you can go if you want to because <laughs> I think that can definitely be that like I'm actually leaving a room or going anywhere how does this end but I definitely feel that sometimes I get a bit like anxious of like oh this, this is not going to be my whole evening <laughs> um, so if you feel like that I definitely feel it helps to treat it uh, like this is the time we're going to talk and if it goes on a bit later that's obviously fine but you can feel like that's the time I'm giving of, of myself and my energy to this um, and varying like the type of stuff so maybe it might feel easier to have a phone call rather than a video call so you're not having to be on camera um yeah and finding what works for you really in terms of frequency and the type of people to connect as well i think we have to identify sometimes the people who give us energy and the people take energy and sometimes what state you're in and what you need um, from that type of connection as well yeah so kind of like establishing boundaries for your kind of own protection um, mm. And do you think that with more people using technology and that kind of Zoomness, etc., um, do you think it's easier for people to establish their boundaries with regards to kind of connection and things like that? Um, I'm just kind of thinking like if you're in a big team meeting or a big group setting, mm. I would find it much more harder for me to just be like, I'm not going to participate, but I'm still going to listen if that's okay. Whereas on a call, you can just kind of like mute yourself. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. What are your kind of thoughts on um, engaging, but 
establishing boundaries. Yeah, I think it's really key and it's something I've definitely been investigating more definitely over the kind of last couple of years with my friendships and relationships saying those sort of boundaries because I'm quite an empathetic person so I can very easily latch on someone's energy <laughs> when they're sharing it. So I think if you're already feeling lonely or down and then you're speaking to someone who is, that's kind of a bit off topic, but definitely I feel like um, setting boundaries is important. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, whether that is in a work context that you've just mentioned being able to say like okay I'm gonna contribute to this by like maybe putting something in the chat rather than talking if that feels a bit easier and you don't interject um or following up after a meeting with like an email like you know with some questions if that feels more comfortable um but definitely having some time I think a day to sort of check in with someone if you are working from home I know a lot of people's roles at the moment they're still having to go into work and that has its different elements I think for managing your own well-being but definitely if you're working virtually um having like catch-ups like I have a couple of regular catch-ups with my team and then also my managers um and recently a couple of weeks ago I had a very difficult week and like that was really important to be able to just have that space to say to someone like you know I'm not doing okay this is going on um and I think if you don't have that like ability to sort of like see someone face to face even if it's on a screen and chat you can sometimes just get in your own head um and things become worse and you try and manage it all on your own um which can be a problem if you're already feeling lonely and isolated those things can get overwhelming quite quickly so being able to sort of have a designated person that you can go to um and come up with like an action plan is really good yeah i really um connect with that I suppose is that the right word I really align with what you've said um, <laughs> I think yeah for sure and I think something that really um struck me when I was kind of doing a bit of research on loneliness mm. was um the physical aspects of loneliness and in a similar way in which if you have anxiety or depression it manifests itself you know this uh, differently in different ways for different people but um I think in the way that loneliness can impact you just your day-to-day -day function and all of that kind of stuff. So what do you think that universities could do to kind of support their students, not just whilst they're at university or even college, for instance, but when they graduate and that kind of holistic whole approach from being a young'un to then going out into the world? Yeah, what do you think the role of educational institutions are in helping yeah I think it's important to consider that because I think with every aspect of mental health there is physical health and I think if we start thinking of it in that that whole way um, it's a lot easier to provide support and to address other problems that might be connected to it um, I think loneliness is something that can be very draining you can feel very tired or spaced out um, as much as you've got those sort of like isolating maybe anxious side of it as well there's a lot of things it can lead into and that can obviously be doubled if um, maybe you're not able-bodied um, or you've got financial constraints um, I think a lot of things can play into that and sometimes the suggestions that we give to people who are feeling lonely aren't applicable across the board it can be like go out and spend money to do all these things or buy this stuff um, and that doesn't work if 
the reason or your loneliness is compounded by uh, your finances as well and I definitely found that a few years ago um because the stuff maybe you want to do is to travel and see your friends like when you lived in Edinburgh and that's just not feasible so it's being able to I think um yeah tear your responses but also when you're looking at loneliness whether that's as a higher education provider or whatever your sort of role is as providing support looking at someone as a whole person and that spectrum of aspects that can uh, impact anyway that's again some rambling for you um <laughs> but in terms of what universities can provide to students um who are leaving university or even more if they're at university support i think acknowledging it is definitely the first thing um and normalizing that experience because i don't think thinking back to 2016 or 2018 Whenever I finished my two degrees, I did. I don't recall. No shame on the University of Sheffield if, if this was given up. I don't recall it being mentioned as, as part of that sort of package of support. Um, because if any of you are recent graduates, you know that if you're staying in touch with your university, you will usually get some sort of e-newsletter or career support, whatever you're sort of signed up to at the time. And I think what would be good if they could advertise wellbeing support within those communications if people are already signed up to receive them so that they're signposted to either services from the university if they're still able to access them because sometimes there's free like online courses that people can take um, or sort of self-care resources they could access or even research the university is doing themselves that might be applicable um, also sort of like national uh, companies or things that people can reach like student minds uh like think positive um like samaritans like loads of things that people can access because if you haven't heard of them and you're in a moment of crisis where you're feeling alone and you don't have those social connections being able to have that information to hand is really useful and i think it's something that universities do a lot when students start they kind of provide that support i'm kind of thinking in like mm. accommodation and stuff so I think we'll do that at the end of the process and tailor it towards maybe loneliness and other problems that might be new for people would be really good. Um, and sort of maybe providing support for organising reunions so that it's easy for people to get together or meet different people after they've graduated um, and providing like case studies maybe of people sort of speaking about their experiences and sharing that on social media or sort of even mental shifts around well-being I think there's a variety of options people could do but the main thing for me would definitely be just sort of normalize it and sign post people to support easily would yeah. be really good I think so too because social media it can be a wonderful thing but it's also so isolating especially when you first kind of well at, at both ends I'm not sure what your thoughts are like when you first start university and then when you graduate so when you first start I remember seeing all my friends having like such a fabulous time at university and I was just drowning in essays and middle March having to finish that book um and yeah it was just where am I going with this just kind of like oh yeah social media can just be a useful tool I think that universities could use in so many ways and I really like what you said about case studies because there's so much power in like feeling that you're not alone and maybe having a bank of case studies is a nice way of kind of 
showing alumni that, you know, as soon as you leave university, everything is not going to be how you want it to be. Things kind of take time and that's okay. And you probably will need a bit of time to adjust. I think it's definitely good as well because some of those resources exist within career support or other employability things. So it would just sort of be adapting that and getting the sort of right people involved with it, I think. Um, you're really key. <laughs> do a lot of activism when it comes to uh, mental health uh, and stuff. And yeah, just want to talk you as long as possible. <laughs> yeah, I, I love talking to you. Um, it's definitely a topic I'm passionate about because I think, other than um, literature, because obviously, I, as you know, I studied English as my uh, undergrad degree and my master's degree at university the two sort of biggest aspects of my life I think have been literature and mental health in terms of areas I've been passionate about um, and feeling confident I think to be able to talk about mental health is definitely something that's been so freeing to me in both a relational context within my friendships within romantic relationships within family um, and then also being able to campaign and stand up for you know areas which I feel aren't getting support um and in work as well because I feel like I, this is something we maybe didn't I didn't fully cover when you asked me a lovely question earlier about going into full-time work um that's a really big sort of shift to being able to manage your well-being and sometimes you maybe don't want to declare to your employer if you have mental health issues or you've not been diagnosed or it's something you experience for the first time whilst you're at work I think for me, definitely having had that confidence and that experience uh, when I was at that point meant that I could sort of express to either my line managers or other colleagues sort of if I was having a bad mental health day or um, feel that I could sort of maybe talk about like routine or manage like my tasks because working nine to five is definitely really exhausting the first time I started doing it going from uni life of low contact hours, working weird hours, doing essays. I worked a couple of jobs at the same time I did. So it was very like bizarre to go to them like Monday to Friday, nine to five. Um, it's a different way of using your energy. So I think being able to understand what nourished me at that time and also be able to express in the work context of maybe like the hours, if you've got that flexibility at work of what would work for you. Um, and like routines and when you're like most productive for certain tasks I think that's really good and also being able to like make those connections as well um, whilst you're working because if you're lucky enough to find people in your workplace even if that's not your direct colleagues that you can sort of go to when you're struggling I think that's really good. I think so too um, and yeah I completely agree about the energy level difference um, being at university, you kind of um, tailor your day around what suits you. And I, one of the best things I found about being an art student was how you mentioned the low contact hours, because there was mm. some other content to absorb to compensate for that. So that having the space was um, so necessary. Um, but yeah, one thing I wanted to touch upon because I miss it was our Bake Off Wednesdays. Tuesdays? I can't remember if that, at that point whether it was on Tuesdays or Wednesdays when we were watching it together. Yeah, yeah but I miss it. Of the week. 
I just miss it that's all I wanted to say I miss it so much and like a memory came up on my social media the other day with me and just a whole tray of croissants and it was magical and I miss it I just wanted to tell you Oh, I missed that too. I think I was really lucky at uni that I fell in with you and with Nicola and um, all of my other friends at uni that really got both the well-being side of it. So that they would be quite happy to sort of do some quite chill activities rather than necessarily always the sort of drinking and party side of things, which you know there's a space and a time for. But sometimes when you're feeling not great, it's not always what you need. Yeah. You need your closets and your bake off. Um, yeah, and I think that's what I really appreciate about uni was being able to make those friends and those connections and have those regular points in the week, whether it was going to the library to study together like you and I would do or bake off or, you know, going out to cinemas and coffee shops and every food place that existed in Sheffield at that time, <laughs> most of what I did. Um, yeah, I missed that. I think the biggest, I think, challenge to me I found for my own loneliness has been kind of making friends as an adult it's not something someone teaches you to do um so whenever you move to a new place or a new job or a new set of experience whether that's uni or post uni that's hard and I think we're so ingrained <laughs> with with just the people you spend time with are your friends um being able to normalize feeling lonely but then being able to find the people that you can talk to about that um, and how to, yeah, meet new people that take you out of that is really key as well. Oh, thank you for that wonderful conversation um, and for sharing yourself with our listeners. They're very lucky to get to meet you. I wish I could be meeting you for the first time, but also I'm so glad that I've known you for over five years now, half a decade. Yeah, I think we'll be probably five years. Yeah, it's gone really quick. <laughs> yes, it has. I, I, yeah. So thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so let's bring this back to thinking about how we can support our students to combat loneliness. Now, in the age of COVID, it's never been more important to think about how we can create or maintain those social connections. And thinking about society's shift to a predominantly digital working space, how can we maintain those relationships without excluding people further who don't necessarily have access to some forms of technology? These are all questions I think about when I'm trying to keep in touch with people, whilst also manage the fact that they themselves might be experiencing digital or technological fatigue, you know? It's such a difficult one and I definitely don't have all the answers, but I can share with you some practical solutions that have helped ground me and helped me feel more connected to the people I care about. Maybe through hearing about what's helped me, it'll spark some kind of inspiration in you too. You could say I'm a bit of an expert on combating loneliness, not to boost my own ego here, <laughs> but I've been in a long distance relationship for a long time. A successful one I should say. We're still together, going strong, um, but now in one place. And I've navigated long distance friendships like you, I'm sure you have too, listener. And so if there's anything you take away from this, hopefully it's that everything is just trial and error when it comes to combating loneliness. As you'll have heard from my conversation with Megan, the humanising touches for me are so important in maintaining those special connections. 
I love writing letters and I love receiving them. I just love the drama of a wax seal and gorgeously outrageous stationery. Can you tell I have too much time on my hands? I don't. That's a myth. <laughs> but there's something so special in receiving this handwritten gift, knowing that someone has taken the time out of their day to produce this thoughtful nugget of love. And it's so nice. Throughout university, for example, me and my lovely friend Suzanne would write letters to each other, updating one another on how we were getting on and it was so special to me because when I didn't really know anyone in that first semester, I could still share my thoughts down on paper and know that she'd receive them and it would be okay. According to the Red Cross, one of the ways in which you can combat loneliness, especially in the age of Covid, is to forge new connections. It sounds incredibly daunting, doesn't it? I know. Although one of the powerful aspects of social media is its capacity to bring together unique and like-minded people together to form little pockets of communities. So if you have an interest, it's likely that there is a group out there for you. <laughs> Start with what you know. Start with a skill, an interest or a hobby and then see if there are any online groups you can join. That's always a good place to start. Finally, my last point about what helps me combat loneliness would be to look at what tools you have available. I know we don't really ring people these days, but why not? I love a good phone call. I miss hearing people's voices and having a long, in-depth conversation. And sometimes you can't really do that over Zoom. It's just a bit tiring, isn't it? You know, when you spend the whole day on video call. And one thing I did recently when I was talking to my mum was go on a walk and it was so nice because I could just get moving but also have a nice chat with my mum, see what she was up to um, and just check in. Although that one might be weather dependent for my Scottish listeners out there, apologies. So I hope this has been useful to you in shedding light on loneliness what it is, what it can feel like, and some ways of overcoming it. I think it's so important to note that everyone's experience with loneliness can be so unique, and the solutions that worked for me that I've listed previously might not be solutions to you or your students, and might be far from that. In which case, it's all about finding what works for you, or what tools you have available to build or maintain those meaningful connections. Thank you for listening. Join me next month where we'll be exploring the topic of student poverty. All the research and websites that I've mentioned in this episode can be found in the blurb of this episode. Bye.